0: Welcome to On The Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is podcast number 69. Today, we're going to answer the question, where does a believer go the moment their eyes close in death? I want to answer this and help you to understand it and to work through this because it's very important. And I want to tell you two or three stories to illustrate this to help you because the more abstract the concept the more concrete have to be the illustrations to explain that concept. Not only more concrete, but also more numerous. Just think about that. The more abstract the concept, that is, what we've never experienced, what we cannot see and touch, the more concrete has to be, and the more varied and numerous have to be the illustrations that allow us to get hold of something that's so abstract, like what happens to a person after they die, after they leave this life. Well, the only guidance we have for that is in the Word of God, of course. Otherwise, it's only speculation. But what God says is true. And so we have some answers to this in the sacred scriptures, in the Gospels, and in the epistles. You recall the story of Jesus on the cross. It is in Luke chapter 24 where I would like to call our attention to in relation to answering this question, what happens to a person the moment they close their eyes in death in this life? Where do they wake up? Well, Jesus answers that as he hung between two thieves, two malefactors, the King James says, to bad men. They were criminals, and Jesus was crucified right in the middle of them, and on one side of Jesus was a criminal that was cursing, that was spewing out venom toward Jesus and bitterness, and he was saying, if you're who you say you are, why don't you get us down and get yourself down, and he was just vile. The other criminal began to say to the other malefactor, stop that. This man has done nothing. You and I deserve to be here. We're common criminals, and we're being crucified justly. This man has done nothing. And then he turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, that is in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, and we will just pick up on the narrative after the Bible says it was written over the head of Jesus, this is the King of Jews, and the letters were in Greek, in Latin, and in Hebrew. Greek was the lingua franca. It was the common language of the day. It was the trade language which everyone spoke. Latin was the official language of Rome, and Hebrew was the official language, the temple language, the synagogue language of the Jews. And uh, even though Jesus and his family and most of the Jews in their common parlance, in their common language every day would have spoken Aramaic, the official language of the Jews Was Hebrew. And it was written, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals, this is in verse 39 of chapter 24, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, if you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation and judgment? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And verse 43 says, And Jesus said unto him, Amen, amen. Most assuredly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in Paradiso. English paradise. Now, as you know, the Old Testament is written for the most part, except for just a very few places, in Hebrew, as I said, the official language of the Jewish people. Some of the Old Testament is written in the books that had to do with the Persians, Daniel. Some passages in Daniel, in uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther material would have been uh, written in Aramaic, but uh, almost all of it was written in Hebrew. In the New Testament, it was Koine Greek. The word paradiso is neither. It's Farsi. It's Persian. Paradiso is transliterated into our English language. But paradise or paradiso referenced the beautiful garden of the Persian king. It was his private garden. It was a place that was the most beautiful in all the realm. There were flora and fauna from every place where they had captured and had brought all of these exotic plants from around the conquered world, the known world at that time. Paradiso was the private garden, for instance, of Cyrus, the Persian king. And you could only come into the king's private garden, Paradiso, by personal invitation from the king. And when you came in the garden, you were greeted by the king himself or his royal emissary. And he would allow you to look over and he would take you around and show you and tell you where everything came from. Only the king's family would be there and his closest friends. And he would introduce you to all of them, and you would know them by name, and they would know you by name because they knew that you loved the king or you would not be there, that the king loved you and had extended you a special invitation as they or you would not be there and the king would personally walk with you and talk with you, and he would talk about all that he had been able to do and accomplish. And then you could ask him any question, and the king would answer any question that you ask him concerning his kingdom. Now, this is the idea of Paradiso. And whatever all of that is and whatever all of that entails Jesus said, "Today I'm going to Paradiso, and you, sir, are going with me." You see, the moment a child of God closes his eyes in death, he wakes up in God's personal, private garden called Paradiso. Now it's interesting: the Hebrew text, when it is translating this passage, it doesn't say Paradiso; it says Gan Ben-Aden, Gan is the word for garden. Ben is the B in that. ben is the preposition in, or in this case, it would be referring to a particular spatial or place. And so he says, Gan, in Aden, in Eden, the Garden of Eden. You see, the Garden of Eden is paradise. And I believe the Garden of Eden is the place where we will go It was caught up after the casting out of our first parents for their sin because sin could not be there. That's where the tree of life is. And the Bible says that we're going to God's beautiful garden. And many times the imagery is given of one that's crossing over, a deep ravine. Sometimes it's talked about in regards of the Jordan River crossing over. Now, you and I know as believers, the moment that we are saved, we come out of the wilderness and we cross over into the Jordan, and we may not appropriate all that's there, but we're already in the promised land. And the book of Joshua really is a beautiful picture of the believer that are in this life still fighting the battles that God has given the land to us, but we still have to conquer it and take it. We have to appropriate the grace that he gives us. But listen to me. The Lord will escort us, or he will send an emissary to escort us to that nanosecond into his presence. When you read in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, There is a word that is used that I think gives us a glimpse of what's going to happen perhaps the moment that we close our eyes in death. After in chapter 11, the great hall of fame of faith has been delineated and all of those who have been faithful and have seen the faithfulness of God and have trusted him above their own eyes and their own experiences. The scripture says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that all of those that have been named in chapter 11 of Hebrews, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Besets us and let us run with endurance with patience the race that is set before us looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of god that's where we're going we're going into the very paradise of god but the scripture says we're looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith now what is the word author well that is the word RK and ago. RK means first as in the sense of a leader, one who has gone before, one who already knows the way. Ago but That's the word, which literally means who is going or um, one who has gone ahead. And so it's the word for way, one who is leading the way, one who has gone ahead, one who is a pioneer in the sense of a leader, someone who has endured the cost, someone who has paid the price, someone who already knows the way. And every time I read that passage, I'm reminded of the story I heard of the great Baptist English preacher, Alexander McLaren. Alexander McLaren was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon was so great in his day and was such a meteor in the night that he overshadowed almost everyone else. But the man named Alexander McLaren, his books or his commentaries are on my shelf. One of the greatest expositors of scripture that has ever lived. Alexander McLaren grew up outside of London and he was uh, poor, and like many of the people who grew up in that city during that time, outside of the city was even more, and so his father said to Alexander when he was a very young man, actually a, no more than a boy, he said, you're going to have to go into town and work, and we'll get you a place to stay there with a relative or with a friend, but I need you to go in and work in the factories and so that you can help me to provide for this family, and so. So they were always looking for child labor, and indeed Alexander McLaren was one of those. And so his father made his way uh, with Alexander to town. And uh, Alexander said that when the day that his father left, his heart sank because he was all alone. And he worked and worked diligently, but as he did, he knew that Friday was going to be coming and he was uh, going to be having one more day and then he was going to have to walk home and his father had left him there and after he had gotten paid that week he was to come home and between where London was where he was working and outside the city was a uh, road that led through a deep ravine that many had been robbed because many were doing what Alexander did and so he said on the last day of his work of that first week he was scared to death and his cart was racing all day and the uh, master his boss would not let him off early and Alexander had asked to go home so he could get home before dark and uh, finally he got off and he was so dreading walking home and as he started walking home he went fast as he could but he could not reach and pass that deep canyon and ravine before a nightfall came. And so darkness overtook him and he was very frightened. And so as he started into this ravine where so many had lost their way, just as he started in the ravine, his greatest fears were realized. He heard someone coming very quickly toward him. And he hadn't any more than just started in the first steps. And he heard the branches breaking coming toward him. And as they got closer, his heart was racing. And all of a sudden, he heard a cry, Alex, Alex, is that you? It's dad. I knew you'd be scared. And I came to take you across this scary point. Every time I read that story, my heart just leaps with joy and emotion. Because you see, that's the way it is when we come to our point of death. The Lord is not going to let us walk that valley alone. Because you see, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil. For his rod and his staff will comfort us and he will take us by his beautiful hesed, his grace, his mercy that has chased after us all the days of our life. And he will take us into the house of the Lord where we will dwell forever, into the beautiful paradise of God. I pray that as you think about those who have gone on before us, their body may be in the grave, you may go there often or seldom. It doesn't matter because you see, one of these days, if they know Jesus, the trumpet of the Lord will sound, the voice of the archangel will shout, and the dead in Christ will rise. Those bodies will come up out of the grave. They'll precede those of us who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, and their soul and spirit, which is in the paradise of God in the presence of Jesus, and all of those who have gone on before that they know better than they've ever known them before, We'll meet them in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise the name of the God of heaven who loved us so that he prepared a place called paradise for us until the end when the place that the Lord has prepared with his own hands, he will take us to the father's house. That's for another podcast. But for now, this is On The Way with Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp.